0: So today, in the religious world, it's the day that we talk about being Palm Sunday. It's the day of the triumphant entry of our Messiah into that great city, Jerusalem. This is an amazing story. There's so much doctrine in it that we can talk about. It's such a powerful story. Um, We call it the triumphal entry, the triumphant entry, whatever you'd like to, to call it. Uh, they talk about Palm Sunday because they waved the palms in the street singing Hosanna. And uh, it was a special day. But for Jesus, I can't imagine the weight that he carried on his shoulders. And it becomes very evident in the story as he returns to Jerusalem. And I pray that this, this week, although it is true that we celebrate his resurrection every day, or we should... I pray that we never forget what happened, not only in the Passover of Egypt, but in the Passover of Jerusalem, as our Messiah came into the city and prepared himself as the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world to take away our sin. And so today, I would like to talk to you from Luke, the 19th chapter. As you're turning to Luke, chapter 19... I want to give great honor to my bishop, my pastor today, who I love so very much. I, uh, I'm not sure what's really going on. When, uh, when I was a kid, my parents picked all the time. My papaw would pick all the time. And uh, my papaw had a joke he would say uh, when he was introducing himself to people instead of just saying, I'm R.B. Bingham. If it was a a young person at a conference or something, he'd say, "I'm Luke St. Clair's (laughs) papaw." And so my dad kind of went through this deal when I was a a teenager, and he'd say, "I'm I'm Luke's dad." Well, I'm getting frustrated because every stinking place I go preach, I preach conference Thursday and Friday in Daytona this week, and everywhere I go, I walk in, they're like, "How's your dad doing?" It's not like good preaching, man. They're like, how's your dad? Like, my dad's fine. Why? Like, man, last time he was here, he tore it up. I said, well, I guess I'm here to put it back together. My dad is such a blessing to our movement. And everywhere that I go, I don't ever have to hang my head in shame of who my dad is. And I'm thankful for that. I've never been embarrassed by my family. They've been people of integrity, have kept their hearts right before God. And um, I just felt like today, uh, on on my way home yesterday, I was just thinking about how blessed we are at FPC to have the legacy of godliness and righteousness that we have in this city. And I thank God for you, and I thank God for my pastor and my bishop today. Luke chapter 19 and verse 28. If you're there, say amen. amen. If you're not, I'm not talking anymore. <laughs> when he had thus spoken, he went before sending up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethpage in Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. He said to them, Go ye into the village. Over against you In the which at your entering You shall find a colt tied Whereon yet never man sat Loose him and bring him hither And if any man asked you Why are you loosing him Say to him Because the Lord Has need of him The Lord needs him and they that were sent, they went their way, and they found exactly what he said they would find. Now, that's, that's a, a clever thought. The Lord says it, and it happens. They went, and they found exactly what he said they would find. And as they were loosing it, guess what else happened? It happened exactly like he said it would. And somebody said, why loose ye the colt? And they said, the Lord hath need of him. They brought him to Jesus. They cast their garments on the colt. They set Jesus thereon. As he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven. Glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke your disciples. He said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And when he was come near, he beheld the city, and he wept over it. He said, if thou hadst known, even thou. At least in this, somebody say this with me, thy day. thy day. The things which belong unto thy peace. Somebody say, thy peace. Thy peace. But now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, compass thee round about, keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground. Thy children with thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another. Why? Because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. I'm going to preach to you today from this simple, simple thought. The time of visitation. You may be seated in Jesus' name. Now, I can't. I can't verify the validity of this story, I really don't know who came up with it, but it was kind of a a legend story uh, about a plainly dressed man who went into a church in Holland in the Netherlands on a Sunday, and uh, he came in fairly early to get his seat, and they said that the man walked down the aisle and he found a seat up front near the pulpit Of the church. And it wasn't too long after that he had been seated that this woman came walking into the church. Now, as a pastor, I just can't imagine this happening. But the woman walked in and she came up to the front of the church where the man was seated and she curtly told the man, That's my seat. Now, I can't imagine that happening. But it did, supposedly. She walked up to the man and she said, you're in my seat. She then asked the man to leave her seat. The gentleman stood up and he apologized to her. Apparently, he moved away from her pew. And as he moved from her pew, he moved into a section uh, on the other side of the church that was reserved for the poor and homeless people that the church did ministry to. And he stayed in that section throughout the entire service and the sermon. And when the service ended, a friend of the woman came up to her and she said, uh, Do you know who that man was? She basically, in her way, said, I don't care. He was in my seat. But to her dismay, she was informed by her friend. She said, The man that you kicked out of your seat this morning and made sit in the poor section was King Oscar of Sweden. The king of Sweden came to our church this morning to be in service with us in plain clothes. But you did not recognize him because of his garments. And you asked him to move from your seat. I want to tell you that our king came to us in plain garment and there were many that did not recognize who he was as a matter of fact there was much jealousy because some thought he was coming to steal their seat. Herod wasn't real happy at the arriving of our Savior he sends out a decree and said I want you to kill all the babies if you haven't noticed yet governments don't mind killing babies if it's a threat to their future And he said, I don't want somebody taking my place. So go ahead and destroy all of the children, the newborn babies. And Jesus had to find safety in Egypt for a short while. And so we understand that there was much transpiring over 33 and a half years. As some began to realize who he was, primarily 12 men that truly came to the knowledge of who he was, and eventually on the day of Pentecost, there were 120 and then 3,000 that came to the knowledge of who he was. But today I would like to deal specifically with the arrival of the Messiah into Jerusalem, and how that the people were surrounded by sign after sign after sign. The Bible was literally unfolding before their eyes. And as the Messiah rode in on the Colt, they missed their moment of visitation because he did not come the way that they had dreamed he would come. They did not understand how the Word of God was being fulfilled. And I certainly don't want to outrun myself this morning and preach the end of my sermon in the introduction, but for the sake of time, I do want to tell you today that I believe we are living in the time of the triumphant entry of our Savior again. That at this time, he's not coming back on the colt. He's coming back on a horse. But I fear that just as it was in that day that there are people who are not paying attention to the signs of the time and they're blaming the governments of the earth and they're blaming the people around them and they're blaming nation because nation is rising against nation and there are wars and there are rumors of wars but it has nothing to do with the coming of the Lord. It's just that it's an evil day in which we're living. But I'm telling you today, the first time he came to us, he came in mercy. He came clothed in mercy. John said, Behold the Lamb of God. He came as the Lamb that was coming to be slain for us for our sin. But the next time he descends from heaven, he won't be coming back as the Lamb led to the slaughter, but he's coming back as the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and he will judge this earth. I believe that just as it was that day, perhaps it is in this day today, I want to preach three simple points to you that I have recognized in the scripture, the text that I read to you today. The first thing I want to tell you is that we all come to a place in our ministry at some point, I believe, I know I've said it, been frustrated Go to my office and sit down in my chair and say, if Jesus Christ himself would have preached that, somebody would have missed it. It's a frustrating moment. And people deal with that, you know. But can you imagine that it really was him that came riding in? And there were some that got the picture and began to praise him. But in that moment of his entry into Jerusalem, the first thing I want to tell you, believe it or not, is there were people that refused to give him praise. It was a day of much celebration. As Jesus wrote in, Matthew 21 and 8 tells us that there was a large crowd of people that gathered in that day and they gave him quite the rousing welcome. They were praising and shouting to the tops of their voices, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It was in Luke the 19th chapter. This is one of the only things that all four gospels talk about. But Luke 19 and 38 tells us they were saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. There was recognition of who he was. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 21 and 10, it says that the entire city was stirred. Praise was arising. It like flooded the city. There were people worshiping. 19 and 37 of Luke tells us that the people joyfully praised God in loud voices for the miracles which they had seen. And we start to recognize what I believe to be an issue to this day. Jesus wasn't working miracles on the cult. They were giving him praise for miracles. That they had seen. That's what it said. These were people that had seen miracle signs and wonders and loaves and fish. And they were giving him praise for the things that he had done. Not realizing that at this moment he wasn't there to bless them. He was arriving as a prophetic utterance coming to pass and being fulfilled. That the Messiah himself, God manifest in the flesh, was arriving in the city. And it stirred the whole city. It was so powerful that people were stirred. But their emotions were stirred by what he had done. And very few recognized who he was. As they gave him praise. The children praised him in the temple shouting Hosanna to the son of David. When at that moment there were some so called spiritual folk. That looked at Jesus and said you need to tell your disciples to be quiet. You need to tell your disciples to stop giving you praise. And Jesus made a statement that honestly some people don't fully understand. I don't think. That could only be made by the creator of all things. When he said if these don't praise me. Then the stones are going to cry out. If you look for yourself you'll find out in science that there is a frequency that is always moving in the earth and that even the stones of the earth that you and I look at and we think they have no power whatsoever, there is a frequency that's moving in the earth at all times. I'm telling you that the rocks praise Him. I'm telling you that the trees and their branches praise Him. I'm telling you that the beautiful blue sky praises Him. I'm telling you that all creation praises Him. But there is a difference between me and the rocks. There is a difference between me and the trees. The trees have no choice but to raise their branches. But I came in here this morning and I had a choice as to whether or not I would give him praise. I know there were some in Jerusalem that day that missed who he was. But let it not be said of us at FPC on Sunday. praise. I came because I choose to bless him. I choose to praise him. I choose to love him. There's only one reason that you would not want to give him praise. You don't know the time of your visitation. You don't know who he is. You don't realize how powerful he is. Once you know who he is, once you know what he can do, once you know how he delivers, you've got to give him praise. you can't see the things that he's done you can't see the mighty works of his hands you can't see the delivering power you can't see the soul saving power and be silent in your praise something gets up inside of you and say when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he has done for me my soul cries out hallelujah hallelujah You can judge us if you want to. You can be critical if you want to. You can try to silence us if you want to. But when I think of Jesus, I've got to give him praise. And just as the Pharisees could not stop people that were praising him that day, I want to tell you that there's not a naysayer in your life that can stop you when you really want to give him praise. If it's in your soul, it's going to come out. It don't matter if it's Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, when you got to praise in your spirit, it's got to come out. I've got to praise. I've got to praise and I've got to get it out. The sad thing to me at first is that at the time of their visitation, there were people who were not willing to praise him. I don't believe he's coming back for a praiseless church. I believe he's coming back for a church that's alive and well. Woo! I believe he's coming back for a church that's loving his appearing. Woo! You've heard me say it many times, but if you're waiting for your chance to shout over there, You probably better get it started here. (laughs) And so I believe as it was with the first coming of our Messiah, there were people who failed to recognize who he was. And they refused to praise him and tried to stop others from praising him. The second thing, this is simple preaching. The second sad thing that happened to me that I see in this scripture is that as the Lord came into Jerusalem, With the weight of Passover on his mind. Knowing what was going to happen at the conclusion of the feast. That in the midst of all of this he has to cleanse the temple. Think about it. As he's coming in to the city. With the weight of Calvary on his mind. He has to stop along the way. And bring correction to those who know better. The timing of this is so incredible chronologically how it happens in the story in Mark 11. If you watch how it kind of unfolds. I love fogging up glasses while I'm preaching. <laughs> if you watch how it unfolds. In verses 1 through 10, Jesus enters into Jerusalem in Mark 11. In verses 11 through 14, Bishop, I, I've preached a bunch of these stories that kind of happen here but you usually preach them isolated but Jesus it's when he comes into Jerusalem the triumphant entry that the fig tree is cursed Jesus is walking uh, into Jerusalem riding into Jerusalem on the colt he gets off and he's walking into town and he looks at the tree and he says you shall no more bear fruit again And then, in verses 15 through 19, he evicts the money changers in the temple that were selling doves, selling sacrifice, that you preach about it all day. It's so powerful. There's doctrine everywhere in this. But in verse 20, as he's walking out after this, Peter recognizes the tree. And he said, Lord... In 21, he said, Lord, the tree that you cursed, he said, that thing is dried up from the roots. Peter sees the tree dried up and recognizes what happened. The Lord cursed the tree, cleared out the temple, and then Peter recognizes the roots of the tree dried up. Why does it happen in this order? Several reasons, but let me give you one. Jesus was walking not only into a temple, a place of worship, but he was walking into a system. Jesus was walking into a system that he had been brought up in, a system that he was fully functioning in. I know people are so critical about this. But it'll never be preached in this church. You can just mark it down. Jesus did not stop functioning as a Jew to be the Messiah. He fully functioned as a Jewish man in a Jewish society and was still God manifest in the flesh. How do we know that? Because we see it in the scripture that he is fully God and he is Fully man. John 1 and 14, he is the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. Come on, somebody. 1 Timothy 3 and 16. Does it get any more plain than 1 Timothy 3 and 16? And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness that God was manifest in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit. He was seen of angels. He was preached unto the Gentiles. He was believed on in the world and received up into glory. I'm telling you that God robed himself in flesh. But he did it as a Jewish man that understood the system. I used to hear it preached all my life when I was a kid. Jesus came in and turned the law upside down on its head. That's not true. Find me one story in the scripture that Jesus broke the law. Oh, yes, yes, he did, Pastor. He let his disciples grab grain. Now you sound like the Pharisees. That's exactly what they saw. They walked through the barley field and grabbed some grain on the way by and said, Look, you're you're, you're letting your boys break the Sabbath. He said, My boys ain't breaking the Sabbath. I'm saving a life. He set things into order in a way that no other rabbi had ever done before at all. He said there are some things like life that supersede this Shabbos principle. That if a man is dying, he goes into it. Like if, if you've got a, a neighbor and his, his horse falls into the ditch on the Sabbath, you're just going to let it die? No, because it has value. Right. And so you take it out of the ditch. He wasn't teaching them to break the law. He was teaching them the value of life. He ne- Jesus never did break a law. It's replacement theology. For people to say that Jesus came in and replaced the law. There is a vast difference in replacing the law and fulfilling law. And so Jesus came as a functioning man in the Jewish society that whether you believe it or not he went to the temple and prayed daily while he was in the city. And his disciples continued to do the same thing after they got the Holy Ghost in Acts 3. In Acts 2 and 42 They continued daily after the Holy Ghost. You can read it for yourself. They continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking bread and in prayers. Go ahead, 43. And fear came on every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. How did it happen? Because they continued in righteousness. Yes, Yes, they did. The difference was now they were full of the Holy Ghost. And Jesus was walking into a system that had tried and tried and tried and tried to figure out a redemptive plan that would work. Right. Right. And you can think all you want to that it's a coinky But it is not a coincidence that Jesus did it during the Passover. It was the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. That got them out of Egypt. And Jesus comes in the same week of the Passover. Fully functioning as a Jewish man in the week of the Passover. In breaking bread with his disciples. And the blood of the lamb is shed. And he told his disciples before the crucifixion. Take, eat. This is my body. Drink. This is my blood. What was he saying to them? You got to get full of the lamb. He told them that during the Passover Seder dinner. Get full of the lamb. And so here he is walking in. Listen, the Jewish world revolved around the temple. Everything they did revolved around the temple. So they say that in, in history and in the news and in all in time events that, that, that uh, Israel... Is the center of attention. And the temple mount. Is the center of attention. In Jerusalem. Jesus walked into the most sacred place. To a Jewish man and woman. But they had started valuing system. Over supernatural. History tells us. That after. The Babylonian captivity. We don't see the ark of the covenant talked about anymore it's completely missing and I've preached it before in history that uh, I believe it was Pompeius the great that walked into the temple and told the Jewish men there he said I I will go inside and see what all this is you make a big deal about and that he walked in publicly and mocked them as he went into the holiest of holies and he came out and he said why are you making such a big deal about an empty room So all these people talking about Jesus died on the cross and rent the veil in twain so that we could go into the holiest of holies. That's not really true. He didn't do that so we could go into the holiest of holies as in a room. He did that to show them that the glory that was in the holy of holies has been moved into the body of a man. And I am walking with you now as the presence manifested presence of God in the earth. He was showing them that there were some things in their system that were never going to fulfill the sacrifice of the Lamb. Now, this is a tight rope i got to walk right here in a thin line. But I want to tell you something. I believe at the coming of the Lord, when He comes back in the rapture after the church, I believe one of the things fundamentally that God is going to have to deal with at His coming Is not just the evil of men. But the corrupted systems of the so-called church. Believe it. I want you to look at how much debauchery, sickness, grotesque grossness has been done in the name of the Lord throughout our history. And they've done it in the names of churches. Last night, I just about came unglued. I saw this man that had gone in as an undercover reporter. And he was knelt down at the bedside sitting, I guess, in a chair at the bedside of a Vatican priest who was on his deathbed. And he had a camera hidden and the man couldn't see, the priest couldn't see it. And the priest began to go on and on and on bragging about the way that he had abused children through the years. And it was all being recorded. And and then he began to justify it. He said, I'm thankful that the Lord didn't look on it as sin because he knew the needs I had in my life. And he began to say that God was providing those children for me to fulfill my sexual needs. If that don't make your skin crawl... I'm telling you, my roots don't run anywhere close to Rome. Nothing. That's why I don't baptize like Rome. I don't preach like Rome. I don't teach like Rome. I don't do anything like Rome. It got me so mad, my lip got to quivering. I was mad because people are doing this in the name of God. God. And they're, they're in a corrupted system. It makes me so mad right now, I just want to say mean things. And it makes all of us look like we're connected. You listen to your pastor. The reason why we preach so hard about the book of Acts roots is because we don't want to be any part of the separation from that line of thinking. If you want to read something, that will shake you. Is it, from, is it from Rome to Jerusalem, the book that we talk about all the time? From Convent to Pentecost. It'll mess with you. This woman came out. She was talking about in the convents that she was in. The, the things that were being done to these nuns and how that, if they would speak against the priesthood, that they were even taking their, their tongues making them stick their tongue out on the floor and driving a nail through their tongue into the floor. In the name of the Lord, of course. I'm not making this stuff up. It's right in there in my library. You can go through it. These are blood-bought children of God that have walked out of false doctrine into truth, telling their story. And while we're quick to look at those systems... And say, oh, how corrupted. I want you to look at some of our systems that have been created outside of that movement. Where people are taking advantage of folks and telling them that if you'll give this, it won't be too long till you're driving a Mercedes Benz. Quit lying on God. We don't have to prop God up. We don't have to preach prosperity doctrine. If you're a giver, you know how good God is. If you're a giver, you know God never lets his people go without. If you pay your tithe and give an offering, you know God don't let his people down. It's his word. Amen. But we've got corrupted systems, man. It's crazy. And the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, the more corrupted the systems get. Why? Why? Just think about this. Why the closer we get to the coming of the Lord would God be giving revelation to people that the church needs to be more worldly? I mean, seriously. Let your mind go on that. We got revelation coming. That's not necessary anymore. That's old-fashioned. So God's going to decide to do that now? I mean, like... (laughs) The thing he came to save us from, he's going to let us get back in because he's coming soon. Oh, my, my. Did y'all hear that? Does Anybody know what it was? It was a rat licking ice. It gets quiet. so quiet you can hear a rat licking an ice cube. The church of the living God was never meant... To be affected by the world, but rather the disciples of Jesus. It said that those men turned their world upside down. The problem is that the world is already upside down. So Elvis, if they're turning the world upside down they lived in, that meant they were turning it right side up. The job of the church is not to jump in an upside-down world and say, I can still do that and not go to hell. The job of the church was to jump into the middle of an upside-down world and walk up to them in Mars Hill and say, I perceive that you are too superstitious. He said, you talk of this unknown God. But I've come here standing at the tomb of this unknown God To preach to you about a God you can know. I'm telling you that gods in this world are not a new thing. Idolatry is not a new thing in the world. But we can't afford for it to be a new thing in the church. Jesus walked right in the middle of the systems. Listen, I'm afraid in a mess with you. Sacrifice had become lucrative in the temple. Because they were selling sacrifice and when Jesus turned it over, listen. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. What were they stealing? They weren't stealing money. People were giving it to them. What were they stealing? They were stealing sacrifice. And anybody that will stand in the pulpit and tell you that at the coming of the Lord, we don't have to sacrifice anymore, it's a lie. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. holy. Listen, he didn't just say present your checkbook. He said, present your body, who you are, your being, everything about you. presented to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable as your reasonable service. Listen to pastor today. We don't preach about sacrifice to throw the weight on you. We're preaching about it because the corrupted systems of this world are going to be dealt with at the coming of the Lord. walks into the system and right in front of their eyes he dismantles it and it frustrates them why did it all happen I wish I could preach this really you could preach just this one thing as a a full sermon why did he curse the fig tree in the middle of it all the way to the roots because the fig tree was not producing fruit and he said I'm turning this system over that's not producing fruit and I'm going to give you away to produce fruit. And so now. What we find. Is what frustrated Jesus. And I'm hurrying today. Was that the house of God. Had become a place. Listen to me. Of business. As usual. God. His frustration. Was because the most. Sacred place. For God's children had become a place of business as usual. At the coming of the Lord. He's going to come back and look over his church. And he's going to find some people that are charlatans. That are in it for the money. I got talking with some preachers the other day. (laughs) Some pretty strong stuff going back and forth. About how heavy... We have put success in the hearts of people of how successful God wants you to be. Listen, I believe God wants us to be successful. And I've worked really hard over my life to create and generate extra streams of income so that I can live well and do good. I want to do that. I work outside jobs and extra jobs and do things to create flows of income because I want to live in a good way. I want to be able to bless the church. I want to be able to bless missionaries. But prosperity in the kingdom of God was not about how much he can give me. That's business as usual. If that's what you want, go work for a Fortune 500 company and work your way up the ladder. Woo! What do you think he's going to do when he walks into the systems of some of these churches? And it's turned upside down. Waters of baptism hadn't been troubled in three years, and the baptistry's dry. Don't even have water in it. Nobody's got the Holy Ghost in years. But the pastor wears $1,200, $1,500, $3,000 suits. Drives a brand new car every year. You know what? I, I'm, I'm jumping out here on a limb. I, I know he's he's neglected to walk away from some things like, but I look at guys like, like Jake's people talk about it and, and Jake's knows the truth. Just if you ever talk to him off camera, he'll tell you the truth. But everybody's talking about, oh, look at all the money he stole from people. He ain't stole money from people. He don't even take money from that church. He sold enough books, sold enough stuff of his own. He's built his own empire. But I'm struggling with these people that are using the kingdom of God, Brother Gray, Ripping people off and telling them God's going to bless them for it. That is not a culture of sacrifice. It is a culture of slapping God in the face. And telling God what he owes us. And you mark it down this morning. I know i slowed down here. I was preaching about praise and y'all were with me. But God is about to walk through the church in the end time. And send his angels through the church. And he's going to start looking for people that are in it for the system of what's in it for me. And he's going to look for people that are what's in it for the kingdom of God. And I believe, Bishop, that's going to be part of the separation of the wheat and the tare. Y'all got a few more minutes so I can finish? All of this happens because the people did not recognize their time. And this is the last thing I'm going to tell you about. Biblical prophecy being fulfilled right before their eyes. Isaiah 62 and 11. Behold, the Lord hath proclaimed unto the end of the world. Say ye to the daughter of Zion. Behold, thy salvation cometh. Behold, his reward is with him. And his work is before him. Zechariah chapter 9. And verse 9, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. What's this? Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the full of an ass. Isaiah said, It's coming. Zechariah said, It's coming. But when he came, they didn't recognize him. He gave them the heads up. I'm on my way. I'm coming. It's coming. Listen to the prophet. Listen to the preacher. I'm on my way. But when he got into the city and literally Yeshua, salvation, was seated on the fall of an ass. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people. Salvation comes right in. And they started throwing their clothing. Listen, folks. I don't even know if they truly realized what they were doing. The scripture tells us in 2 Kings 9 and 13 about kingship that they hasted and took every man his garment and put it under him and on the top of the stairs and blew the trumpets and said, Jehu is king. All the signs of royalty were there and they missed a visitation. Well, that's because they didn't have the New Testament. It was being written. The problem is they forsook the Old Testament (laughs) prophecy because they liked their system. And they missed the prophetic, the supernatural, Lord have mercy. They stopped putting importance on the supernatural word and started pointing to what they could do in their own flesh for 400 years. But Malachi told them at the beginning of the 400 years, don't forget what Moses told you to do. Don't forget what the Lord told you to do because there's coming a time that he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to their sons and the hearts of the sons to their fathers. And you're not going to get there by forgetting God. You're not going to get there by forgetting the supernatural. You're going to have to hold on to what you know is right. I'm closing. God... John 12, 13, they had palm branches. They spread them on the road, Matthew 21 and 8. Revelation 7 and 9, John said, I saw a multitude waving palm branches, Bishop. Prophecy unfolding before their eyes. We just came through the craziest year of my life, your life, all of us. Brother Jeff, nobody's listening. As soon as the pandemic goes away, they're just going to chill. Let it go away. Put my little shot in. I'll be okay. I'll tell you something. We need a Holy Ghost inoculation worse than we need any kind of inoculation. We need to be led by the Spirit of the living God. We need to get the Holy Ghost down inside of us. And every time my heart beats, all I can feel, Brother Kevin, is that he's coming. And he's coming soon. And all the prophecies are saying he's coming. All the prophetic words are saying he's on the way. All the signs of the time are saying that he's coming. I don't want to miss my visitation. Let's stand. Let's stand together. Oh, God. Oh, God. I'm going to tell you, I'm glad John saw the number. They couldn't number, because that means somebody made it. But There was also another number. We don't like to preach about this one, Bishop. It's a long Bible study we could teach, but heaven has parameters, 10,000, 10,000, 10,000. It's a place that's squared up, it's queued up, it's got, it's got parameters where we're going to be in heaven. It's got parameters. The scripture said that hell hath enlarged itself daily. While we're anticipating heaven, hell is continually expanding. Because somebody, and listen to me this morning. Please know this is not fear preaching. I'm telling you about some people that missed a visitation because they didn't know who he was. And Jesus stood there and he wept. He said, if only you would have known. If you would have known who I was and what I was doing, but you missed me. Somebody someday will hear the trumpet sound and not have a clue what it was. And they're going to start calling people, looking for people. I hope when they call me my phone's disconnected. There'll be no second chances in my opinion. I've taught you on the 144,000. It's not a risk I'm willing to take. I'm going to go in the rapture. Whether I go by the grave or by the rapture, I'm going. But somebody's going to miss it. And I'm going to tell you what I'm afraid of. Is that they're going to miss it while the word of God is being fulfilled right in front of their eyes. Riding on the foal of an ass. Coming as the king's Salvation. They let him ride right in, worshipped. But Brother Wendell, this shook me. The same multitude of people singing Hoshiana, blessed is he who comes. The end of the next week we're saying crucify. Don't tell me how spiritual you are by how you can dance and scream and shout. I want to know will you follow him to the cross? And will you let his blood be on you and your children? God don't let us miss Don't let us miss Our visitation As the word has gone forth this morning How many more times do we hear it preached? Earthquakes in diverse places Pestilence Wars, rumors of wars and we're like, oh, yeah, it's been happening for a long time. But one day's going to be the last time. It's going to be over. Don't let us miss it. Don't let us miss it. Oh, God.